I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hi, I'm Sarthak, and I welcome you to one more episode of All Things Policy. In today's episode. we are going to discuss about ways methods benchmarks to do some public policy analysis and joining me in this episode uh, two guests vinu and ritul vinu till recently was working with the development monitoring and evaluation office at niti aayog and there she handled bunch of things uh, which also included the output outcome framework ritul again not as much a guest uh, ritul is my colleague at takshila and ritul is building and nurturing the vibrant alumni network of takshila before we start with the episode i have a quick announcement the admissions for takshila september 2022 gcpp cohort are open if you apply before 23rd july you can avail a 10% early bird scholarship so what is this episode all about every now and then there is a launch of a government scheme policy and whenever this happens usually there is a huge focus on the scheme outlay not just during the launch of a scheme but also during the presentation of the union budget state budgets there is always a conversation or that most of the conversations usually revolve around the finances that have been allocated to these schemes uh, sometimes there is a conversation related to how much amount of money is being allocated to a particular sector what has been the change as compared to the last year previous year whether there has been a decrease whether there has been an increase so usually the analysis of policies or the review of policies happens this way and from this maybe you have an idea whether a sector a scheme a policy has been prioritized but this level of analysis might be useful to some extent but it might have some uh, limitations so what are some of the ways by which we can do better analysis can we have better evaluation or is there a need for better or is there a need for approaches for better policy evaluation So we know since you have been working in this area and Ritul right you have also been discussing these kind of things what do you think thank you for the welcome satak i think it's fair enough for our guest to sort of take the center stage and talk about her experience and the work that she's done at the DMEO to begin with we know i would ask you could you take us through the history of policy evaluation in india like when did it start i know DMEO is a fairly new organization it started in 2015 but were we doing monitoring and evaluation before this just like a brief history of how the landscape has been yeah thanks ritul um, i think before we actually start you know talking about the current mni landscape it's important to understand where all of the work that is happening currently at dmeo and niti aayog uh, and generally in the mne policy space in government where it really originated so just to give you a little background there dmeo has been established by the government of india back in september 2015 and as you very correctly mentioned uh, and sarthak also introduced it is an attached office of the niti aayog but earlier this body what is called the program evaluation office and the independent evaluation office were functioning which were actually merged together in 2015 and that's when dmeo was born so you know the program evaluation organization this was established by the government of india back in 1952 uh, 
And the major mandate or the task that was allocated to the PEOs was to evaluate the community development programs and intensive area development schemes which were functioning under the government of India and were funded by the government uh, back then. So the PEOs, they worked as a division of the erstwhile planning commission. They had a very similar hierarchical structure. It was headed by an advisor who reported to the member of the planning commission and these hierarchies still exist. So even currently, the DMEO is headed by what is now called the Director General. And the PEO earlier, they had, they were actually, uh, you know, offices all across the country. It had 15 field units, which comprised of seven regional offices and eight evaluation, project evaluation offices, which, as I mentioned, were located all across the country. So now in an effort to accord more functional autonomy to the program evaluation, mechanisms, the government actually uh, also established an independent evaluation office in 2018. Then also the IEO was also headed by a director general who was equivalent to a union minister. And then when the present government came in into the system in 2014, they said that, you know, we can have, we can better utilize our human resources and our capacities in the PEOs and IEOs through a centralized unit, which should be located in Delhi. And that's when the decision of merging PEOs and IEOs was taken and DMEO emerged as a result in 2015. That's very briefly the the history of DMEO. Yeah, so we know this is how the institution evolved. But if you look at the mandate of the institution, right, it is about monitoring different kinds of government interventions. Now, why monitoring plays a very important role? Why evaluation plays a very important role when it comes to public policy? What all can be done if you have some insights from that. Right. So I think uh, policy evaluation is fundamental to a sound public governance system, whether it be in LDCs or in advanced economies, in all kinds of economical structures, right? And it is concurrent monitoring and evaluation, which actually helps the public system improve the kind of schemes they are running, the kind of policies that they're designing, and also how they're implementing it. And once they have a good picture of where the loopholes are and where there are scope for improvement, that that in fact, and if those loopholes are of course filled, that leads to prosperity for the country and, you know, well-being of the citizens as a whole. So broadly, this is the overarching objective of why we should have a very strong monitoring and evaluation system for public policy in place. So it promotes and and. You know, so if I have to delineate and do a top down, you know, sort of an analysis of why, again, this is important, then this also contributes to promoting public accountability, right? So, like you said, that the government of India spends X amount of money each year on a particular scheme. But how do I know if that program or that budget item or that expenditure from the government's uh, kitty is actually bearing fruit or is achieving its Mm. objective? So, for that, you know, to answer that kind of question, yeah, you need to have concurrent monitoring and uh, program po- and also process evaluation structures in place. And then this leads to more learning, increased public sector effectiveness, because then the process is improved, the implementation of the policy design, policy is improved. And of course, if you have to, you know, run similar programs in the future or continue a particular scheme, then you would know how, wherein uh, there were faults in the policy design earlier, which you can fill up this time so that uh, the policy is more effective going forward. 
Yeah. So, I mean, since you're talking about monetary allocation and other things, right? Uh, one thing I wanted to add, it, add here, uh, see, any policy that you are implementing, there will be, you will require different kinds of resources, right? It will be financial resources as well as different other resources. Now, whenever you are utilizing these resources, then we also have to keep in mind the opportunity cost for these things, right? So, Usually, governments will have multiple things to do, or at least they will have multiple things that needs to be dealt with. And if they're going ahead with a particular policy intervention, which implies that some other things they're not able to take care of. And let's yeah. say I have 10 rupees with me and I'm spending that on candy. That implies that I could have done something else with those 10 rupees, which I can't do. Yeah. So governments, whatever they are going ahead with, right, they will have huge opportunity cost. And it makes sense for us to evaluate so that you are so whether the government is getting i mean whatever outcomes are there right they are bang for the buck or not this is also something that we need to think about right and evaluation is something which can help us identify that absolutely yeah yeah so I just to chime in here i think yeah, it also sort of makes sense in a larger scheme of things that it it sort of makes government accountable to the public that whatever scheme they're running is it even feasible is it delivering the intended outcome that it is supposed to so I mean, just on that note, for having followed DMEO's work, I think one of the key key work that they've done is designed the output outcome framework. If we really want to talk about it, what is it? What is the difference between output and outcome? How do you identify output outcome for any expenditure? Just in brief, that what is this framework that you have designed? Sure. Um, so output outcome monitoring framework is actually one of the flagship products and publications of the Development Monitoring and Evaluation Office. And this document is prepared for all, for most actually, 66 to be very precise ministries and departments of the government of India, which involves more than, you know, 500 centrally sponsored and central sector interventions of the government. So under this framework, what we try to do is we list down, number one, all the schemes that the government is running, all the public interventions, and then we go back and study in depth all of these schemes. What are the objectives that they want to achieve? What is the kind of financial resources that the government is spending? And the basis and analysis, which I'll talk about uh, later in our conversation, which is called the log frame approach. We delineate outputs and outcomes for each of these budget items or interventions. So we first prepare output and outcome statements. And then we frame indicators on each side, both for outputs and outcomes. Now then, in coordination with central ministries and departments, we also seek targets along those indicators in order to effectively monitor all the public interventions. And these targets are supplied for the next financial year or the incoming financial year. Because this whole output outcome monitoring framework, this is presented in parliament by the Honorable Finance Minister in the budget session itself. So, you know, this OOMF document is prepared for the incoming financial year. And then we monitor the targets which are given at the indicator level by the ministries and are decided in uh, by, by DMU in coordination with the concerned ministries. Those targets are broken down quarter-wise. So for the next four quarters, we know what the ministry is targeting to achieve for all of the indicators. And then DMU maintains a dashboard wherein all of these targets are monitored. And we seek updates from the ministries on a quarterly basis. This dashboard is fed by, by the staff which is sitting in ministries. And then the progress, quarterly progress reports are made by DMU, which is then, you know, also shared with concerned stakeholders. So just to give you a broad overview for the 
current financial year, financial year 22-23, DMU prepared this document, which was presented in parliament uh, earlier this year. We have covered 67 ministry departments in this. More than 500 schemes have been covered, as I said. And if you look at the coverage of, you know, schemes which have been, which are there in budget this year, then we are covering 14 lakh crore of budget outlay. So in effect, we are actually monitoring 14 lakh crore worth of budget of the government of India under this document using using the indicators that I talked about. Yeah. So we know just slightly zooming out, this document is called the Output Outcome Framework, right? But yeah, it will be great if you could just give us an example of what is an output, what is an outcome, yes. or how output and outcome, how they differ from one another. I'm assuming that whatever financial outlay is there, that is an input, right? And yeah. it will lead to something and there will be a process which will create outputs and then there will be outcome over a period of time. So yeah. just can you give me an example, give us some example or the difference between these things? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that's a very, you know, fundamental question because oftentimes we struggle with delineating indicators, whether it's an output or an outcome or even, even an impact level indicator. But I think understanding these basic terms is extremely important. So output is the first level of results, you know, which need to occur in order to achieve the anticipated outcome, right? Yeah. So this is more of a direct, tangible result of activities which we are performing within a particular scheme or a project or uh, and which will, in fact, be activities in that whole intervention. So in simple terms, it's a, it's a numerical count of a program's actions or products that were created or delivered. So if I have to take an example, say, the number of people served and the activities or the services which were provided. And output, I would say, is typically easy to measure. It is readily determined. And uh, for instance, one of the outputs for, say, a disaster relief program, it could be number of packets which were distributed to flood victims, right? Mm -hmm. And then for this, we you would have a particular numerical target for that intervention, a uh, basis which you can ask your stakeholders to report progress data on, on that. Hmm. While on the other hand, outcomes are more of like medium term effects, which is a precondition to accomplish your longer term goal or objective, which, which is hmm. going to be the impact of that particular program. So hmm. outcomes are more of a set of, I would say, changes for the population served, anticipated changes in terms of knowledge, in terms of skills, attitudes. And now it, this, this term has become very famous. So in terms of also behavior, right? And outcomes is it's measurable. It is also time bound and it is mm. more mostly qualitative in nature. Okay. okay. So it may, it may sometimes take a while to determine its full impact and also mm. attribute the change. So for example, again, if I have to take the example of the disaster relief program, one of the outcomes could be how many flood victims have actually survived or mm. are less likely to starve because you ran a particular intervention. That mm. could be one of the outcomes. Okay. So uh, one parallel example I can think of, let's say in the education sector, right? So input is basically how much money you are spending in the education sector. Output can be, let's say, uh, increase in enrollment, cross enrollment rates among children. And again, outcomes can be those learning outcomes, how, whether students are able to learn things, how many of the students in, let's say, fourth standard are able to do second standard sums. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's what is output and outcome, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, it might be we are giving examples, which is which sounds uh, easy, 
but identifying output outcomes must definitely be difficult and there must be some ways by which you identify this or there are ways by which an output is i mean can be identified from an outcome and there will be some challenges in that what we'll do is we'll discuss this but we'll have a short break before that once we are back we'll talk about the challenges in identifying outputs outcomes for different policies actually thank you sarthak for that uh, for that question and uh, i was i was thinking about the challenges and one of the things that i can think through is that this seems to be a calendar year approach towards where you define output outcome measure against certain benchmark that you decided now this is to win that what happens that let's say in the case of when you're making investments in something in human resource capacity building because the the investment that the government makes but the benefit is accrued usually in future years so hrd may be the first so like when you are actually sort of rationalizing schemes they must be the first to go for budget cuts because they are actually not meeting the the targets but then the flip side is that this is an investment in long term that like, i'm sure there are many challenges similar to this in terms of evaluating schemes how does this whole scenario look like yeah thanks for that question ritul i think um, very important and hard to answer question i would say but yes you are absolutely right you know things which are long term of course have a lot of issues when it comes to delineating outputs and outcomes but we also need to realize that uh, you know why is the government even spending in the first place on things on things because there is a market failure right because there is going to be some issue wherein the private sector will not come or will not have the ability to invest and therefore the government needs to invest so other than that i would say and and when that's the case and the government is in fact spending quite a lot for uh, basic necessities of you know citizens then it's then it needs to make sure that there is good accountability and the kind of ex- expenditure that they're doing is worthwhile so when it comes to like schemes in the education sector you are absolutely right that you know these are things which are the fruits of which the government or we as a nation will reap in the long term so then that would be counted as an impact right and um, there's also one very good project uh, that dmo is doing and hopefully it should work is that we are trying to build a time series of the output outcome data that we are collecting so this exercise started in 2017 we have data for about say 5 years now and then out of which you know although even if i take quarterly figures then it's going to be about 20 data points i have for each of the schemes and uh, again there there would be loopholes in there also because the indicators have changed over time and why so i'm talking about this because that will give you an impact so if i had an impact or an outcome level indicator back in 2017 for a particular education scheme i will be able to observe the change on an on an yearly basis and calculate the cagr over the five year period and once i get more data points in the coming years that will give me a very comprehensive picture of the impact that the government is trying to make through an intervention say in the health sector or on, or in the education sector where most of the budget line items and the schemes have a long term you know view but it's yes. hard it's hard certainly hard yes yeah and so we know uh, apart from this part any other challenges you have when it comes to identifying output outcomes and also what is the method you usually use right so i think i'll answer the method question first 
basically, so the approach that we adopt to frame the indicators for any of the schemes, we base them on basis of three principles, relevance, exhaustiveness, and accuracy. It is, you know, we have to make sure that the indicators that we are framing or deciding on, they are relevant to the particular scheme. That is, they have to be a part of the scheme design and, and the scheme's objectives. When I say exhaustiveness, I mean that the indicators have to be exhaustive in covering the various aspects of the implementation process, right? And also the intended objectives again. And it should also accurately represent the outputs and the outcomes. So that is basically the three principles uh, very quickly. And the first step that we follow in, in the whole process is to begin by an in-depth study of the scheme guidelines, which are given in, you know, EFC or SFC memorandums. And now some of these documents are freely available online as well. Um, so these are basically the design documents for all public interventions. And based on this, then we take subsequent steps. So the suggested approach is generally divided into two steps, delineating your outputs and the outcome statements, and then defining the indicators. So to delineate the scheme outputs from outcomes, it is recommended that we think about certain questions in sequence. Like, for example, for a scheme, what are the key target groups, right? Hmm. What performance improvements are we expecting for this target group? Hmm. This is for outputs. Then for hmm. outcomes, what is it that the proposed intervention intends to bring about in the above performance improvements? So in simple terms, what are the key constraints or uh, to the improved performance of the group? Then how is this intervention aiming to resolve the factors which limit the target groups? What are the root causes behind key constraints? And what are the activities that are proposed? Hmm. So these are the basic hmm. questions that we try to answer. And once these questions are answered across different levels, then we form what is called the logical framework. Hmm. So logical framework is nothing but just, you know, starting from the bottom to first delineate the inputs, then the activities, then the outputs, the outcomes, and finally hmm. the impacts. And to delineate all of these, we answer the questions that I just talked about. Okay. But sorry. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, what I can observe here is you need you have you collect you create these indicators, right? For yeah. each of them. Yeah. And to evaluate that, you also need to have enough data. In fact, yeah. for creating this also you might require require some amount of data, right? So you just cannot create these indicators in the vacuum, maybe you will be looking at some data points from the past. So the question that I had is, did, do, do we have enough data for all these things? Do we have proper mechanism for gathering data for all these, uh, for all these schemes and policies? Yeah, so primarily, if I have to look at OOMF, I also want to, uh, before I answer this question, so, and this is linked. So now, if you see the guideline documents of the government of India, the scheme guideline documents, you will find a basic output outcome monitoring framework attached in all of these documents, and which is a which was a major win for you know the development monitoring and evaluation office because we were able to successfully convince the various stakeholders involved of the fact that this process has to be institutionalized in the process of appraisal of a scheme. Yep. So, in all appraisal uh, documents, you will find an embedded. Oomph now attached, which which is great. So which also means that once a ministry or a department is putting those indicators in the EFC or the SFC or the appraisal documents, then that means it has some mechanism to collect data on those indicators, right? Otherwise, yeah. they will not put those indicators and then say, oh, you know what, we do not have the mechanism or we do not have the ME data system in place to actually report progress on search indicators. So that is one. 
But on the other hand, I do also want to, you know, share that there are uh, certainly major data issues still. A lot of our processes of scheme implementation are still not digitized, hmm. which means that even for OOMPH, we do face issues in collection of performance data. So even if I push the ministry or department to agree that, you know, we should have a very basic output indicator in place, but then we receive requests to drop those indicators or, you know, come up with a parallel indicator because the ministry does not collect or does not have a system in place to monitor or collect data for that previous indicator, which is more smart, right, or mm-hmm. relevant, accurate, etc. So yes, there are linkages. And then we also try to, you know, form indicators and pick up indicators from the dashboards which are available in public domain, which the ministries maintain. We had also proposed that our own uh, OOMF dashboard, which DMU maintains, should have API linkages with each of the dashboard dashboards which the ministry is maintaining. Because, you know, we need to realize that this exercise is also a huge, huge burden on part of the ministries and nobody likes to report, right? Nobody yeah. likes to... Unfortunate thing. Yeah. Yes. So... That also is a huge burden on part of the ministries and they need to like enter, manually enter data first okay. in their internal dashboards, huh. then on the OOMF also, then at least hmm. these 10 other reporting dashboards, which the government of India maintains at different levels. So yes, data is an issue, but uh, I think we also need to recognize that uh, DMEO, whether it's MOSPI hmm. and other stakeholders, which MITI, I would say, is taking very good steps in order hmm. to collect quality data. and. Uh, if you look at uh, some of the steps which have been taken under the DGQI exercise, the Data Governance Quality Index exercise, which also has been, is a brainchild of the team at DMEO. I think it's a fantastic initiative of improving and also measuring the quality of data that is collected at the ministry and department level, at the schematic level of the government of India. And even under this exercise, a very important initiative is also being undertaken wherein we are trying to revive the economical and statistical units. So you are very surprised, not, I don't think a lot of people know, but each of hmm. these ministries and departments in the center have a dedicated economic and statistical units or verticals as they call it, or wings. But, you know, due to capacity issues, uh, most of these are non-functional or don't do the kind of rigorous and analytical work that they should with uh, with reported data. So under the DGQI exercise, this is also one of the exactly. parallel objective, I would say, which is great, I think. Yeah. Vinu, could you, could you help me understand that are there countries at similar per capita level or similar level of development who have sort of excelled or are carrying monitoring and evaluation exercises in, I have actually used this as a key component to deliver on public, public services. As a matter of fact, I know about Mexico and Chile where governments have adopted cost-effective evaluation products. I say cost-effective because I understand that this is also very, this is expensive. It is not easy. So for a developing country, it's not, not, not something which is easy. So Mexico and Chile have both done it with shorter timelines to assess program level performance. In fact, Mexico, Chile, Indonesia, South Africa have made excellent use of evaluation to improve their policy effectiveness. As far as I can remember, Mexico's national evaluation system, which is the Carnival, established yeah. in 2005, it's, it's dubbed as one of the world's best and has been replicated across the world. So like a line or two about are other countries doing it and how are they doing it? Yeah, certainly. So 
you're very right you know mexico is cited as the as the prime example when it comes to m&e ecosystems across the world and especially in the public sector they of course uh, flourish because uh, there's an institutional mandate in the country and it originated back in 70s um, the whole uh, m&e system there and it it really transformed from an ad hoc sector specific approach to a more of a comprehensive nationwide approach which i think is great but from a more micro perspective you know if you look at some of the recent publications of conebal uh, which is their prime m&e body in mexico you will find that they do a lot of short m&e policy briefs which is great why because typically in the policy space you realize that the decision makers or the policy makers they don't have time they cannot wait for 6 months or a year for evaluation results and recommendations to come in right so this is also a field which is extremely time sensitive yeah. so uh, doing short quick assessments desk research policy notes basis secondary data and uh, of course building something out of data which is freely available or if the government administrative data i think is a very powerful tool and uh, we at niti also are you know we do absolutely realize its potential but i don't think we have in india have actually used administrative data to its full potential so these are all of the things that we should be using and i think konival has used fantastically in order to push this evidence based decision making agenda in their country but other countries also like for example you know australia and australian model is kind of different from mexico it is more decentralized and it also has a more checkered history So MNE in Australia actually originated in the 80s which was um, a period of uh, slowdown for them and therefore there was also a reduction in government expenditure back in Australia so the incoming government it uh, actually increased its focus on uh, rationalizing the expenditure and maximizing their own value for money and uh, this this led to a series of micro reforms and formally introduced the MNE techniques okay. in governance and then you know then in the 90s or or the late 80s was considered the most successful phase in this model then 10 years down the line they actually formed the outputs outcomes framework very similar to ours to report service delivery indicators by each of the departments presently it is it remains devolved and they give priority to mne across departments which is different different so even in terms of capacity even in terms of importance it differs yeah and other examples include canada chile south africa um we know i so on since we are at the end of it i want to know about what the way forward for monitoring and evaluation looks like in india and i have some 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 questions to you in that regard that has it been replicated at the state level because i know it, it is done at the national level but has it been replicated at the state level to what is being done to institutionalize monitoring and evaluation in public policy and final i mean when i went to the dmu website i saw that there has been there are trainings for senior senior government officials etc to build capacity so that more ministries are equipped with this just these things and to close it off for our readers niti aayog dmu does a newsletter which is vikas patra so for policy nerds who wants who want to follow up on what is being done at dmu i think that is a good resource which is where most of my learning came from uh, just one line response and all of these sure so on the sub national mne ecosystem yes we do have certain state governments which have taken a lead when it comes to mne 
whether it's Karnataka, whether it's Tamil Nadu, who have very strong, you know, MA systems in place. Um, Andhra also, and they have full-fledged m bodies with staff who are, you know, who have the primary mandate to do this. They have also institutionalized it, which means that for the budget, for the next budget cycle, if, the, if a particular scheme has to continue, then it has to undergo evaluation, which is very similar to the mandate even at the center. Yeah. So yes, there are states. Uh, Haryana also has adopted the own framework, the output outcome framework, which is great. Uh, GNK and some of the northeast states, including Nagaland, Assam, DMU is working with them, including Madhya Pradesh, uh, to come up with such frameworks in the future. Yeah. So yes, there I are. I wanted there are to states add one thing. Yeah, I just wanted to add one thing here. This particular thing is very important when it comes to the state governments because in case of India, more than 60% of the public expenditure happens at the state level. Yeah. And many of the things that directly yeah. impact us, right, they are within the state's jurisdiction, health, yeah. education. And usually yeah. the states will be providing for most of the services, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if the states have this framework, then it is better because, yeah, it's eventually directly going to impact people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, As, uh, one of the professor I was teaching under used to say that uh, state is where the action is. So I think what that case makes all the sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think your second question was on institutionalization. So I think for m and &E, we have a long way to go when it comes to institutionalization. Some of, some of the prime examples that I talked about, like Andhra, they have a clear mandate to evaluate and also monitor some of their uh, public budgetary interventions. But, you know, for this kind of system to really work, you need financial teeth. So if you look at the budget for m and &E in India, it's, it's just marginal. So I think at the center and also at the state level, the, the concerned, um, whether it's planning departments or the financial departments, they need to work and collaborate to... Um, get this institutionalized to make sure that number one there is a good budget enough budget to do ME at the subnational and the national level and also link the performance of the scheme to to budgets which is very very important i think so we are we have taken steps uh, at the center and state both i would say but we do have a lot of work to be done still yeah and i have I have to add one more thing to this. So you also need to have a body which has that kind of an independence, right? So some countries, they have something called as a fiscal council. It's an independent body, which is yeah. most likely reporting to their legislature. And it can basically decide what should be the policy priorities. And accordingly, schemes can be formulated, implemented. And then it also monitors right where you are, whether you have been able to meet those outputs and outcomes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it again needs that kind of an independence, which again, we don't we don't have such kind of an institutional framework right now, I guess. Yeah. Sorry, Rudul, I forgot your third question. What was it? I think it's okay. We're, we're already okay. run out of time. Thank yeah. you so much, Vino. It was, it was fascinating to have you. And I'm sure both our listeners and me and Sartak learned a lot from you. And uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a great experience. And uh, I, in fact, learned a lot from both of you during this conversation and also a briefing yesterday. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks to Ritul. Thanks to Vino. We'll meet again in one more episode of All Things Policy. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. 
The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.